When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode of That Dan Band Show is brought to you by the Captain U Recruiting Platform, powered by Stack Sports. Captain U is breaking into the band space to offer support to high school students who are looking to perform in band at the collegiate level. With over 10 years in the recruiting industry and over 3 million student profiles created over the years, Captain U has long been a leader in athlete advocacy and support. Now, it's time to provide that same support to band performers. Captain U creates a direct line of communication between musicians and college band directors. With the LinkedIn style profile, performers can put their best foot forward with searchable criteria like their position, academic info and test scores, audition videos, director recommendations, and potential majors. Performers can directly message college directors to learn about scholarship opportunities, a university's academic strengths, and ultimately place themselves at the right institution. If you are a high school band student looking to perform at the next level, go to CaptainU.com and create a free profile today. It takes less than five minutes and will save you time and money. And for a limited time, we're offering performers 50% off an upgraded profile by using the promo code TDBS21. That's right, 50% off an upgraded profile on CaptainU.com by using the code TDBS21 at checkout. Sign up on Captain U, gain exposure, and get recruited. Powered by Stack Sports. Yo, yo, yo. Welcome. Episode 13. Lucky number 13. Can't believe it. Here we are. We are rocking. We are going. Today's guest. What can I say about this person? He was first a student that I was introduced to, a very, very good student, might I add. Um, who has now become both a peer, a friend, confidant, just one of the people that's on my team um, that I have the pleasure to work with. And honestly, he's a growing name in the marching arts. He's someone that has been kind of getting steam in the corner uh, of his world and what he does. And there's no surprise there because of his immense talent and creativity and professionalism. So everybody help me welcome my guest today, Bryson Teal. Bryson, what is up? Hello. How's it going, man? Uh, <laughs> not much. I'm also very busy. I quite literally before this call was talking to my buddy Carlos in Paragold, Arkansas about a file I sent him this morning and stuff. So it, the grind is going until vacation. So <laughs> I'm flying yes. out to Washington tomorrow. So I'm kind of committing through the rest of the day and then bouncing off to the West Coast. Absolutely. It's kind of hard for me personally to turn this thing off because the time sensitivity of our activity just keeps going. So it's like, you have a break, but like, I, I don't feel too much like there's a break. I don't know how, if you're kind of the same way, cause it's just tough for me to, to, you know, exit the flow of it. No, I agree. I mean, I still have, I think I have like three meetings on Wednesday while I'm uh, at my parents' place in Washington. And then uh, this is also my first year full time with the sound design thing um, as past like few months. And it's it's definitely rolling. I kind of loaded up my plate, and we're 
we're gone. <laughs> yeah. So, so to uh, to kind of go back, you know, talk to us, talk to the listeners a little bit about your history in the marching activity, you know, where you are from and where you, you kind of marched and how you've now transitioned into a sound design role. Yeah, sure. Um, so I went to high school, um, town over from here. I'm in Bristol, Connecticut right now, but I went to high school at Southington High School. Um, that was taught by Kevin Thompson's older brother, Matt, there alongside um, Steve St. Merritt. He was in old school Hurricanes guy. Um, but I, I had not known anything about drum corps marching band before that. I think I had seen those commercials on ESPN a while back for the, uh, like the DVDs when they would come out. Mm-hmm. I think when they were still handling that in some form, but from there, I just played quads, played bass drum, um, my first year there and then quads the rest of the years. And we didn't have like an out, we didn't have an indoor program, sorry, or anything mm-hmm. like that. So that was all a mystery at that time. I was kind of just going through whatever was being thrown at me. I just had been playing drum set prior and was just trying to get lost in whatever I was doing, um, trying to figure it out. But Kevin Thompson, who was also there, he introduced me to 7th Regiment, which I wasn't really aware of drum corps at the time. And I went to go audition there at the end of 2010 and ended up making it there, which is really cool. I had kind of one year of quads under my belt in high school and uh, got to march with some cool people. There were a lot of Dartmouth folks there my first year. That was really fun. Um, that was Tim Seppi's first year teaching after he aged out of cadets in 2010. So he was my first actual kind of quad teacher there. Um, but I stayed there for two more years. So I was there from 2011 to 2013. And I think uh, so you were teaching like officially in 2013, right? That's Yeah, I did one day in 12. And we just yeah. did point drill, I think, the entire day with Tim. That's, that's pretty consistent with my entire drum corps career. So yeah, <laughs> it's perfect. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I ended up marching there and then went to play quads at Scouts in 2014. Um, I think you gave me a recommendation to james or something for that so appreciated <laughs> very solid um but yeah so that i kind of cut it off there i had a lot of work to do at school i was majoring in audio and music production at western mm-hmm. connecticut state university and focusing percussion performance and i was kind of caught up with a trying to get to a collegiate level at percussion and b try to figure out exactly what I was going to do with an audio degree because I'm not you know, necessarily guaranteed to you know, find a job after. It's kind of really on me to figure it out. And um, I hadn't done any indoor after that, um, but I immediately got into teaching high school because I had a huge interest just in the technique end of things. Even after I was done, I think I technically would have aged out in 2016. And that ball pretty much kept rolling. Um, the first school I taught at was New Milford when Anthony D'Andrea, uh, the quad player cadets, was still there. Um, oh, and he was at CWP too, right? For a year? Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, uh, Dream Electric, I think. 2016, yeah. yes. Um, that was kind of my first experience. It's also my first experience designing, actually. Cause Kevin and I both went there and we did an absolutely horrible job. I think we... 
we were complete idiots. We had them play like hand-to-hand <laughs> flams. And they were great. They're, it was actually awesome. The kids there were really good. But it was mm-hmm. just like indoor show and then insert outdoor drum feature. And it was pretty traumatic uh, looking back at videos of that. <laughs> if it wasn't clean, it would definitely be horrifying completely. But um, And I kind of bounced around from there with Kevin. Um, I taught with the Masons at Cheshire High School in 2016 with like Rex Gutierrez and uh, Matt Bronson and stuff. And after that, I went and followed that kind of same crew to 7th Regiment and started teaching drums there and also kind of doing the sound design for the group. There were just a couple moments that they needed stuff for, and that was mm-hmm. really my first experience with that. Um, and following that, I came back for 2018, um, had more of an involved role with the sound there at that time, and then went to Spartans to teach drums in 2019 and... I am now there as the audio caption head and the sound designer for the outdoor and indoor group. Um, also, obviously, working with you at the Hurricanes, holding the uh, sound design role there, and building up this crazy life of just sound design as a job. Um, actually, I don't do like the front ensemble stuff like a lot of sound designers do. As far as I'm aware, that's kind of seemingly the majority of sound designers also at least have some kind of hand in the front ensemble writing in some way. Um, I think there's people like, I think like Andrew Wurst might be kind of like a sound design specific guy. I don't know for sure. That's from what I've seen on when he posts on like the marching arts audio page, the big thing for us. I think that um, dude, Mark Crossman, right before I started teaching there, actually, now you talk about it, he had long hair, might've been mm-hmm. called slash at the time. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, I, you play quads, right? Yeah, yeah. I wow, that was a real recall right there. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I I didn't actually think about sound design at all when I was marching. Um, 2014, that stuff was definitely picking up in steam. Um, but I, I really had no thoughts about ever doing that. I think I was just trying to survive at that time. Um, just play drums the best I could. But I think in 2017, after kind of doing those New Milford shows, I did a gig for Trumbull High School, where I did all their kind of like transitions, like intro stuff um, for their fall show. Yeah, that was 2017, yep. And it was kind of a sparse thing that I did here and there. I had grown up working with Pro Tools, I think since like seventh grade. Um, just recording myself, I got one of those, I think it's like a Digitech RP250 guitar processor. Mm-hmm. So I kind of record licks in there, um, do like drum covers and guitar covers. I'd like record a single uh, mic uh, or drum set through a single mic through that processor. And that kind of developed on the YouTube thing. I actually took that pretty seriously. At one point I had like a, it was like a rising star symbol sponsorship from trx mm-hmm. or whatever um that was cool i i actually had a point where i was either gonna go to school for music or try to actually commit to touring with like a metalcore band or something like that because i had people reaching out and there was a huge i guess kind of like a dilemma at the time where i didn't know what my future was going to be but i ended up choosing music school and kind of choosing drum corps at the same time um because a lot of that was at the end of high school where I didn't I didn't know if I was going to be an accountant or what. 
and ended up choosing the drum corps path, and that kind of carried me along to this point, um, and did the audio thing in college, and uh, but yeah, that was that was kind of the journey. I think I was thinking about this earlier, looking back on it. I actually wasn't though so super interested in drum lines. I think I'm actually more interested now than I was <laughs> back then. So I remember when I first got into drum corps and watching the videos and stuff, I think 2010 Phantom was the the big thing that I was focusing on at the time. And obviously the drum line was amazing. Um, it's still one of my favorite drum lines, but I was more focused on the bigger picture and especially the horn book. And I knew they weren't, I think, I don't, can't remember if they got like 10th place in brass that year or something. I, I didn't really care. I just liked the music so much. I think it was New Moon and the Old Moon's Arms. And I don't know if that stuff was also from Band of Brothers too. But that that pretty much sent me at the time. I was really into that. And I remember like arranging some of the music in like my music technology class. And I think that probably played a common theme as I went forward. Because even in... Remember 2014, we would always go on right after Blue Nights. And, you know, I wasn't so interested in what we were playing at Scouts at the time, but I was enthralled with what Blue Nights were doing. And it wasn't, again, at that time, it wasn't the drum line, really. It was the overall picture. I remember us standing on the sideline, just perplexed by what was occurring in the, <laughs> in the battery, um, especially all those, like, isolated hits. Um, we're like, okay, sure. Um, but then I would come to really love that stuff later on too, after kind of looking back and kind of studying the history of everything, um, you know, going back through indoor, trying to see what had happened up till that point that I had missed. Um, now all that like Vanguard 07 is my stuff. And I, once I realized that was Mike Jackson and made all these kind of connections back to Mission Viejo and then like Dartmouth's lineage all the way back things started to get a little bit more interesting for me and the actual kind of thematic ideas that people were inserting in the drum corps and um, kind of the more sophisticated understanding of what these shows actually are and mean mm -hmm. um, became more and more important to me. Um, but yeah, that it's kind of like a general view of at least more or less how I got to this point. It's a little bit of an enigma to me still because this is, still my first year really doing the sound design gig for real. Um, it kind of popped up out of nowhere and I'm just pursuing it and just going sure. all out with it at this for point. Sure. Yeah. I, you know, it's like there is definitely a before and there's an after where, and you're kind of targeting this as you speak, where it's like, there's this moment where certain groups had made the jump and recognize what sound designs could sound design could do in terms of the overall design and the method of composing. And then there's certain groups where it's like the drum course show that has like these like bracketed sound design ideas sort of inserted on top of the total composition. And I, I, I think that now we're probably mostly in that, the after portion, but what I want to kind of ask you about um, to start with a hot take it is just, you know, when you look at drum corps and the marching arts, it just feels like the way that we compose in this world is so different than the way that 
musicians compose that are widely listened to. And I, I feel like there's this huge friction in the space where it's like, I'm writing music and creating ideas around this vocabulary that's on the judges sheet that is very highfalutin. It's meant to be sort of intellectual. It's meant to be, um, I guess, you're able to deploy them as labels at any given moment in a show so that you are articulating what can be rewarded or not. So at times we have to sculpt how and what we do into this bulleted list to ensure that we're getting the points for the way that we design. Um, and then when you look at music that is actually in the popular ether, it's so much different. And I'm going to ask you, what what is the issue that we're confronting in the marching arts where we're just sort of structuring ourselves out out of, out of being more popular? And what can we pull from more either popular or accessible music that can inform the marching arts that, that we have a future that's larger and not smaller than where we are currently? I mean, it's really difficult. I mean, I think electronics are a huge bridge for that, just for things in general that people hear on the radio um, that aren't you know, marimbas and vibraphones and marching snare drums, obviously. And uh, I think there's a couple ends to that. Even some of the music that people are arranging that might be, you know, maybe not radio play music, but are still world-renowned musicians, like, um, like if I were to use, like, Olafar Arnold's as an example. Like, he's somebody that's Icelandic musician. He's hugely famous for what he does. Um, I think a couple of groups have arranged his stuff recently, but... The kind of maturity in the electronic production in the band show, say, for an artist like that, it still takes a lot of attention to detail to what Olafar Arnolds has actually done and why he's so successful in inserting that into our idiom in a way that translates well and makes sense um, and feels right inside the context of brass and percussion and color guard. And... It seems to me that when people do that successfully with this idea in particular, they have a strong personal connection or multiple people on a team have a very strong personal connection with that music. And they have a big understanding of it. They know what it sounds like. They know what it feels like. They may know a bunch of interviews of that person, yada, yada. And they're kind of able to get into their head and do their best to put that out on the field. Um, and I use Olafar as an example because... He's one of these artists that infuses electronics and classical style instrumentation in a way that's it's very well recepted by uh, the public. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's kind of that whole Icelandic vibe where it's, it seems dark, positive at the same time. It's, it's, it's a little bit difficult to describe. There's like Niels Fromm and Johan Johansson kind of all fall in the same boat, like Sigurdsson and Jonesy. Mm -hmm. Um, they kind of have this grandiose feeling to it. And it's very, I think I would use their music as the best example for something that's really intimate sounding. Um, they use a lot of like felt pianos. Um, like that would be something you'd want to insert into the drum course show and be particular about. Um, but when I'm looking at pop music or not even just pop music, um, 
just stuff that people normally listen to, maybe like more singer songwriter or um, like some of the stuff that you guys were referencing at GMU, like the Frank Ocean stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, he's one of my favorite artists too. I was, his record Endless is on my wall over there. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I think Frank Ocean would be a good person to talk about because some of his stuff is very experimental. There's Blonde, which is not so much and is honestly probably one of my favorite albums of the 2010s. But it does use a lot of very sophisticated um, production in terms of how it's recorded, the synths that they're using, the the vocal mixing. And I think you can get really creative with making effects that just sound, are kind of like ear candy. Um, when I listen to some of Frank's stuff, I mean, he's just singing through the microphone, but a lot of like the chopped effects, the reverse vocals, the, the kind of format shifting or pitch shifting um, that he does in his vocals is really unique and iconic. And, you know, as long as you have access to things to do that in drum corps, you can kind of translate that stuff. Um, but even that is still a little bit, maybe not what everyone's hearing, like the average person. And the dilemma that I've had in the past is, okay, we're thinking about inserting a pop tune in the show. It always feels like someone's just saying, oh, we'll do like Bach and then bam, we'll just insert Ariana Grande. And it's just like, does that, I guess it could work depending on what the show is, but it feels a bit jarring and it's not necessarily of the same context or mindset Mm -hmm. I, I do feel that as long as there's a really strong theme that people are operating in and a strong tone that everyone's agreeing with, I'm sure that could work. But um, if I want to do an Ariana Grande show, like, I do feel like there's a way to do that without seeming corny or, or hokey. And I think that's the stereotype that people kind of run away from a lot of the time. And... I might, I might need to bounce a question off you as well on this because what, what I've been so interested with you in terms of like GMU is that approach to that, I guess, that entertainment value that feels accessible to the average person, the average um, maybe new kid that's marching their indoor group that's at Trumbull or, or WGI Trumbull or um, what have you, watching you guys for the first time. Um, I think I've asked you this before, but I would definitely love to hear you explain your kind of view of that entertainment value, because I definitely come from a place where I just love abstract stuff (laughs) and it just appeals to me so much um, where I'm like trying to shift perspective. But yeah, if you could like quickly like mention how you see that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's not a singular answer. You know, I, I'm so sick of, of being uncomfortable watching the students be uncomfortable. Um, when I was in these groups, I was, I was wearing things and playing music that just simply had nothing to do with my tastes or, or what I liked. Um, it certainly wasn't anything I would ever wear in real life. Um, there's this convention of what the uniform and costuming has to look like and, the seriousness of everything. If I could start anywhere, it would be that is that I, I feel like there's this seriousness that runs through a lot of what people are trying to do in this 
in this art form and it doesn't necessarily reach the contemporary student. So I felt like with Blonde, I mean, it was like an album that I just felt myself in, I guess. Um, both in the sparseness and transparency of the musical choices and how exact those choices were, but, but coming through a filter of, of messiness and emotion. Um, and that's a lot of what I like about Kanye too. Um, specifically Yeezus and Life of Pablo is this feels so raw. It feels so personal, but it's so exact. And I know that there is a lot of decision making behind it. And with that, there's, there's so much to take from it as a listener and as, as a person, you know, just whether it's absorbing, watching, um, it's more than just the music, I guess it's, it's that whole thing. It's the whole identity of it, you know? So with Mason, it's like, if I can get a costume where they're going to wear these clothes after the season's over, I've done my due diligence mm. in a way. So like with the vans where we painted one green and one white, like I see the students from that year, yeah. like wearing those sometimes and pictures and I'm like, man, that's so cool. Like I'm able to make an impact on them and like, and like create a little bit of like an identity with like my personal style and sharing that with, with these groups, like what I think is cool and like where I'm plugged in. Um, same thing with blonde, like seeing high schools take Siegfried and like actually kind of rip that mm -hmm. after us. Um, I can't think that anyone did a Frank Ocean chart before we did it. At least no one that was like, no yeah, not that I'm platform that we have, um, unless you, me neither. And if, if I'm wrong, someone please just hit me up and DM me and correct me. But it was just like, it's like, this music's so perfect. You know, I don't know if it's perfect for the marching arts. Like, I don't know if there's like marimba literature behind it, but like, I mm -hmm. don't care. This is just a special unique person you know and like as you know like with fringe the entire concept of fringe was like not being in the like cultural center but being on the cultural periphery and and that was actually the original name of the show was uh periphery. oh yeah yeah okay um because it, it was all about being on the outside and it was like rejecting the the center and the normativity of everything and um looking at frank ocean as a as a black dude as a a uh, queer person, mm -hmm. um, a, a hip hop artist making psychedelic and atmospheric pop sort of really hard to actually to put that in a box, right? In terms yeah. of genre, that is appealing. Like genreless, atmospheric nature of that music. You're like, what even is this? Yeah. You know, from, from Nike's to Siegfried to self control to. Um, just all these tunes, it, it is this fluid coherence, but also chart to chart. You're like, this is so deep. There's so much depth and, and, um, dynamism to it. And it's so unique. And I was like, this, I just feel this. I don't know. There was something that just clicked for me and what he was putting out and how, how connected he as an artist was to his, his art, um, that he could relate the experience of making this work and like the words he was saying to like his real life. And that was just like, man, if you're not doing that, then it's just really baloney, like bullshit. You know what I mean? Like I, I see a lot of design in this world we're in and it's like, how in the world are the students supposed to care about this <laughs> personally? 
How yeah. does this idea have to do with what they're living through in 2021, 2022 as a 18 to 23 year old? It has nothing to do with them. Right. And I guess I'm always aiming for like what re- will resonate with me and what will resonate with them. And it might not resonate the same, but there's something there that tethers us together in the experience. Yeah. And you know, that's, that's a hard bullseye. I don't think it's easy. I think Frank Ocean was our first really big dive into that. And then since then it's been different, you know, it's, it's been different how we pick up on where we left off with that program. But, um, certainly the, the ability for the students to feel themselves in that program and the ability for us to appeal to the average viewer and listener, which is not the 55-year-old man who marched Crossman in the 80s who's judging. It's mm-hmm. the kid who who is looking for the group that's going to inspire them or move them emotionally. And, and honestly, some of this highfalutin literature just has nothing to do with that. They don't feel that. Um, and it, it's arbitrary and it's just plugging into a predetermined mold that you have to do. And to go back to fringe, that's what I was trying to middle finger at, to be honest. And I still am trying to do that because I'm so bored of, of everything. So I don't know if that captures right. your exact question, but I, it's hard. It's hard to answer that question because that music's mm-hmm. just amazing. I mean, it's just great music and great subject matter from the jump. I think a lot of that is where my brain was trying to go, though, because I, I think you're right. Like, what relates to the the most or to the common person, right? And yes, I think my, like my brain it did before was I immediately went, oh, just pop music stuff on the radio, and it's not always necessarily true. I think what most people can relate with is that kind of unapologetic honesty and individualism, and I think a lot of people do idolize a lot of these figures in pop culture just because they they wear whatever they want they sing about their entire life maybe most of the time you know depends but um you know they're not putting up so much of a sod all the time um, depending on the artist Mm -hmm. and you know i've always been obsessed with uh, james blake for a long time i know (laughs) he yeah he was when his third album came out or came out that was the first time i heard of him that's kind of when I started diving into like what like what is a singer songwriter, someone that just mixes their own music, does the whole thing, and puts it out. Because um, I, I definitely sensationalized these people in my head, and you know, I myself was like, this this is what I want to listen to. This is what I want to engulf myself in because he's just saying everything that he's feeling. Um, you know, something that was difficult for me and a lot of people to do, just you know, express themselves in the most natural way possible. And I definitely aspired to that. And that's why I started writing music and it's kind of a good outlet for me, um, like the solo stuff and this band stuff. Um, but when someone's so individualistic like that and people are kind of gravitating towards that, that um, authenticity that word, you know, people like to throw around, it really seems like the key because the same thing with Frank Ocean. Um, it, it's hard to deny that what he's saying isn't his true self. Um, and that whole, his whole identity is wrapped up in his sound, kind of those effects I was describing before that you don't always hear everywhere and he does it in a very specific way. And, you know, I'm going to go to listen to Frank Ocean to hear that 
and nobody else. Same with Kanye. Like, I'm going to listen to Kanye to hear Kanye because no one else is going to be doing that at that level. And him himself, very unapologetic about who he is. <laughs> and he's a cultural icon. He's one of the biggest stars in the world. Um, but I, I think that's what it is for me. I mean, that's what has done it for me with like people like Johan Johansson, like I was talking about before, he's my favorite composer, RIP. But, uh, when I think about other things, just like other mediums, like movies, like I'm obsessed with movies, there are movies that are maybe not so well written where the authenticity of the performance kind of brings out the writer's best qualities and also makes the movie appealing to the masses. Like I think something like the movie Joker did that for me. That's one of my favorite films at this point. Um, The script was written by Todd Phillips. He was the guy that um, wrote and directed the Hangover movies, which is really wild. He he took a huge jump. Okay. Um, Weird flex. (laughs) So he, so he wrote, yeah, yeah, super weird. <laughs> but he uh, he ended up getting the ability to produce this movie and getting it financed. And, you know, I really do think the script is really lackluster. The story isn't amazing. But when he inserted Joaquin Phoenix into that role, I mean, it was still part of Todd Phillips's like, Scorsese-ish world, with, like King of Comedy and Taxi Driver being the influence. But... I don't think anyone else on this planet could have made that role work to the point where he's debatably like the best Joker alongside Heath Ledger. And it's like hard to compare them because they're so different, but his interpretation of that character was just such an embodiment of like the darkest times in people's lives to the point where people are like, Oh God, they're like sympathizing with the Joker, like this like kind of serial killer murder esque person. And in the movie, it's just so realistic that it was it was hard to say, oh, I feel bad for him. But, I mean, the opening shot of the movie is him just getting kicked to the ground like by kids, and he's just crying. He's wearing a clown costume. He's at the bottom bottom tier of New York City life, or Gotham life, I guess. Um, but his character is just showing everything. It's just seeing into... Or he's a character study, right? It's just seeing into his life and ended up being one of the major movies of that year. And I guess where I'm going with this is that when this performance is achieved at such a high level and it's so original and it's so, um, I don't even want to say authentic, like, um, vulnerable. It, it is exciting in a way. I mean, he had an improvised scene where he's just like awkwardly dancing in a room (laughs) and it's like, that's super weird. Like you don't want to do that in public. People ridicule you, but it, it like touches on this caveman part of people's emotional brain that like has these weird interpretations. Of Man, things that so in their lives. Um, it, it brings me to think about art versus competition. Um, you know, I, I feel like, yes, yeah, exactly. In yeah. our world, in our space, you can't be just an artist. So many moving parts. We we have these teams. We have to collaborate with each other with mm-hmm. our egos, and we're worried about the scores because how we end at the end is going to influence the amount of money that comes into the ensemble the next year, so that we can exist. And there's just all of this built into it. The educational vertical of every organization that has its own moving parts and as an individual artist, it's just not that. 
you know, there's there's so many ups and downs with the creative creating process, creative yeah. process, which we experience on design teams all the time. There there are parts of that, but I think there's a little bit of an indirect proportion between artistry and the competitive side because and it's not for everyone. We have great examples of where mm-hmm. they just strike gold, you know, and and the reality of that too is the politics. Yeah. Because Mike Jackson didn't just arrive at Broken City in 2017, even though everyone thinks he did. He had a storied history in WGI. He was already a Hall of Famer. Mission Viejo had changed the game in the in the 2000s. He had been at the top of his game, and then they they rebranded with Broken City, and it was a very logical place to arrive, even though I, I think 2017 is their best program out of everything that they've done. Personally, I think Spine is the best show, and I've said that before. That's no knock to anything else they've done. I just think that it was a timing thing um, because there's such a political history in the marching arts that they won't just hand it to you even if you do something groundbreaking. And I say that as a younger person in the space, so it is what it is. It's sort of self-prophesizing, but you know, that's that's a real thing. The judging community is not a neutral community. I'm a judge and I know the groups that I know and I look at them differently, period. And they'll tell you it's show of the night, it's not. And they it, it just is that. It's okay. And I, you know, we can only do we, we're doing our best, right? I can't just like drag everyone, even though it's it's easy and a lot of people do that, but for fringe, like the artistry, the authenticity, the emotion, the connection, it's all there. And it's like, this is too new. And like, when I hear on the tapes, like <laughs> that they can't hear every word of this like fast rap that he does at the end of the show. Oh, I can't hear every word. It, it really is. Uh, it's not only deflating, but it just shows that we are lacking an inventiveness and a creativity from a judging and competitive standpoint, which leads me to believe that that which is going to succeed most frequently is not that which is most artistic um, mm. or, you know, experimental. Um, and that's uh, scary. It's really scary that we are sort of fitting ourselves into these appropriate boxes so that we can get all the points and, appeal to these very few people like i did a i did a data run one time i was going to write this article for flow marching probably fortunately that i didn't but the average group that wins fan favorite gets like eighth place and i think that's an absolute joke and i think that the fan vote should be averaged into the overall score because there's just a rub between what's really coming across to the wider audience and what appeals to this generation of judges who really just, they haven't been in front of a group or on average, haven't been in front of a group cleaned a triple role or designed a show in 20 years. I I just, I can't wrap my head around that. And it's, it's very frustrating because I'm just like, I should just go create art in a way where I'm not trying to like appeal to this, like very specific group of people that I completely no, I agree. I mean, or, or especially with, to that point, you know? like, same thing with Phantom. Like they weren't the first place core. They had a great drum line, but that's not what I was focused on. I was just into the music. I really, really liked that show. And I know a lot of other people did too. But even looking at WGI, I mean, a lot of my favorite groups are high schools. Um, it's not so much the independent thing. You know, I, like, I really like people that challenge that competitive side to it as well. I mean, the uh, while they're not my favorite shows ever, 
I really, at the time, appreciated some of Ayala's stuff. Um, well, it was like the one that was quite literally <laughs> oh, <yes. laughs> about challenging the judging community practically. Um, uh, 2017. But even like just seeing something mm-hmm. different, seeing, like things like, I think it was 2018 was the Blessings show with the chairs. I was just the really chair, intrigued by white, it. Was everything was nothing white I had seen. Um, you know, maybe that doesn't have the best like replay value or something like that. Um, and it probably was you know, well received because of the quality of the drumline in high school at that time, for sure. I can't even imagine that show if it was horribly dirty. That would be really sad <laughs> to see. But um, that stuff that really challenges the tradition and the status quo, uh, for me, just seemed really appealing. Um even going back to some Mission Viejo stuff um, and go, kind of going back in time to the 90s where high schools were kind of starting to carry a lot of the progression of, of that activity. It was just really cool to see that things were just constantly evolving and it was from every area. What, you know, it wasn't just from like these world-class independent groups. And I think still today, marching bands still carry a lot of innovation, you know, even BOA, um, you know, groups like Hebron coming out and it's just... Like, you can't hear that sound anywhere else. You can't hear that in drum corps. It's just going to be right there, and they have their own thing. Um, but I think there is this huge element of people don't always like the shows that are in the top five, and that that just is what it is. They might be achieved at a very high level. They might be great mm-hmm. shows, technically, um, but there's just not to be loved. I mean, I remember really being super into... Um, some of the Mandarin shows after Key started writing there, um, like 17 and 18, I was really into yeah. um, thinking of like I, some of the cult shows I really liked um, while I was still marching. I was really into those. And I, I didn't remember a lot of the top 12 shows. Um, that's just what it was. As a young kid that was more or less a fan, I didn't really understand much. That's what I gravitated to. Um, and a lot of that was, you know, like, I remember Cult Show, they did, oh man, what was the tune? Oh, I can't remember the name of it, but um, everyone just remembers, like, the trumpet solo from that year. And it was it was just, a, it was an mm-hmm. awesome ballad. I wish I could remember what year that was. It might have been 12 or something like that. Um, but yeah, but just me personally, thinking back, you know, while I love achievement as anyone else, like, a great drum line is sick. It's one of the best parts of the activity Um, from a creative perspective, um, kind of a general standpoint. You know, that isn't always what matters to me personally. Um, And so there's different balances sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes a group just has the full package. Like it's super creative, super well done. Everything's really cohesive. Sometimes the show design is just amazing and the drumline's not great, but people still like it as long as it's, you know, more or less achieves well. (laughs) not a mess. Um, and that's a struggle I've had. Um, you know, when I was first trying to come up with show designs and stuff, I would pitch things like uh, music from the movie Arrival that Johan Johansson wrote for. Um, and that is, first of all, hard, probably hard for students to get into, to be real. But um, I think part of me really felt that someone doing music like that at a very high level would still be entertaining to a degree. And I didn't actually know until recently that uh, James and Donnie at Cap City did that music in 2018. Um, Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, 
So that that is a battle. I have been trying to kind of stay not in the mold so much, but try to learn what the activity is right now, especially as a younger designer, so I can really understand what's going on and then try to branch out from there. But I, it's still hard for me not to just kind of do whatever I want. <laughs> uh, the The constancy of it makes it difficult to reorient. Yeah. I think the last two years has been really big, at least for me, just going like, I'm not like in the shit all the time. And I can kind of look at what I've been doing and look at what other people are doing and go like, here's where I want to direct myself. And one of the major things is just the singing part. You know, mm -hmm. I remember like voiceovers got so big at one point where it's like, this is an apple. <laughs> Worms live in it. <laughs> birds eat worm like you know what i mean yeah. it was like this really heavy-handed disney fied like just just the worst ever you know and like it, it totally has killed amazing shows you know some great shows that just kind of because they had to be clear about what their idea was they're just like telling you what it is and it's like ex it's expository you know it's the explanation of what's going on as it's happening and it's it's very very obvious right and then you know working with sam fleming joseph no obviously mm -hmm. uh, at mason and just like getting his voice into our design and the sound uh, honestly the biggest thing was what he was bringing to us from a sound design perspective because he does produce all his own music right yeah. he's kind of like you in that way where he he is the singer he's the songwriter he is conceptualizing his total sound and his sonic identity and we're like man like we have to have this sound because it is moving us forward. You know, I think with the project we did in 21, the Close to the Sun project, I was like, mm -hmm. this is really where we're headed. Where, yes, there's marching instruments in there. But me, as someone who just doesn't, as a, as a viewer, listener, like, that's not necessarily the thing that I care about. I'm kind of with you on that. Um, it's a component of what I care about, but I'm just not that person. Um, like, mm -hmm. that classically trained sort of, you know, that Omar type person who can just, he under he's being impacted by the technical side. I'm being impacted by how I'm being surprised. And like you said, the authenticity and the, the emotion and the vulnerability of, of everything behind it, not just the designers, but the performers too. And feeling yeah. like working with Sam and his sound and the sound design he was bringing to it. It was like, this isn't sound design. Like we just write songs on a computer. We are writing music <laughs> on main stage and we've got mm -hmm. to stop going like the front ensemble, you know, arranging and the battery arranging and then the sound design. Like we need to write music that is good. And I, I listen to shows still and it's like, if I just listen to this, it makes no sense. It's totally like chopped and broken up and, and you can't sit there and like, yeah. like, like, how is it that songs that just go, they're still winning. Two and four is beating out 15, 16, and then this odd meter, and then like this, like, mm -hmm. I'm sorry, but no one wants to sit there at a prog rock concert and like figure out all the odd meter that they're doing. It's so niche, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I love Mars Volta yeah. and Dream Theater, but like, I'm, it, it's like a, it's like an epic play. It's not really, it's not really like music in that way. And it's like, you know what we could learn is like how to make people like go like this in the audience. 
If we could get yeah. people to, to actually groove together, like you look at a concert and it's just everybody knows when the drop's coming and everyone does the drop together. Are you looking for a high quality apparel made exclusively for the marching arts? That Dan Band Show is brought to you by Lot Riot Apparel. Lot Riot was founded by a drum corps alumni with a mission to create the premier apparel brand in the marching arts. And he definitely accomplished that goal. There's no other brand out there like Lot Riot. No matter what band event you go to, you will see Lot Riot clothing being worn by members, fans, and instructors alike. It is literally everywhere. Lot Riot is the brand that bonds the marching arts community together. They have a passion for band and have a real stake in their customers and the activity. With Lot Riot, you're part of a greater whole, a group of friends, a community. I love Lot Riot because they draw on a minimalistic streetwear aesthetic and use high quality materials to create cool, comfortable clothing. Their brand fits my personal style super well, which is why I am proud to have Lot Riot as a personal sponsor, as well as a sponsor of this podcast. Lot Riot is currently offering listeners of That Dan Band Show 15% off all purchases on LotRiot.com. Simply go to LotRiot.com and use the code DANBAND, one word, at checkout, and you will receive 15% off everything you buy. But that's not all. Listeners of the podcast use the code DANBAND will also receive an exclusive Lot Riot That Dan Band Show pin and sticker pack for free. So go to LotRiot.com right now to get 15% off your order and a free sticker and pin pack using the code DANBAND at checkout. See you in the lot. We have such yeah. an absence of that communication with our audience. It's it's actually baffling. The way you look at live concerts that are yielding real like audience numbers and then like us, what we're going for are so opposing. I want to create in this world that I love, like I'm, I'm obviously in like in this thing for life, like it's been so important, but it's like, what are we doing? We are repelling yeah. real people and we're making it for such a small percentage that we're just locking people out. And that just like literally is heartbreaking. Like I feel sad about that. And I want to bridge those experiences so that people go like, like the sound system is in effect, right? The bass the base like yeah i just i just don't know how to move everyone toward it's not even everyone i just want to do that actually i don't care about everyone else <laughs> i think what well, like to start with what you're saying like what's the most inauthentic is some of the way that those voiceovers like the narration stuff has been recorded traditionally like usually that's just inserted and it's like there's there's nothing in that I, I won't call anyone out for it, but it's like it's like the most tone deaf sounding narration by someone that just is not an actor or a hired actor, and it, it's rough. It is really hard to listen to and watch right. at the highest level. It's just like what what is going on? Um, <laughs> how did that slip through the cracks? But it's obviously there's not a lot of attentiveness to that kind of detail, and with the singing, it's more inherently there. First of all, people just know that better and they they relate that to the music they hear more quickly um but it you know it is able to be more soulful it's able to have more of the intended feeling that we want from everything um and a little bit more achievable too uh 
from like the average singer as opposed to like having someone that's a trained actor that can speak as genuinely as they possibly can when they're doing something. But um, there's also that problem of like, like you're saying, it's like, this is a show about an apple. There's a worm in the apple. Like that's straight up what people do at times. And it's like, that I guess was part of the culture and like what indoor was before it was, I guess, taken more seriously in another way. Um, But yeah. Oh, there, there's something else I was thinking about too, but um, I think interjecting that voice, song voice is something that's misinterpreted. Sometimes people do a little bit weird and it's kind of always been a thing, but when you integrate it in more of a singer songwriter way or, I guess kind of like the way you were doing at um, GMU with the rapping or even in the, the close to the sun stuff. It's like, okay, this feels more like something I know. This is legit. Like this sounds amazing. It was recorded really well. It was written for this. This sounds like a song and I'm kind of headbanging to it. And then when I look at all of that, it seems like there's a lot of room for growth um, in all areas of the activity, even at the highest level to achieve something like that. Well, um, to the point where it changes kind of the paradigm of what marching arts are, at least in drum corps and um, some of WGI. Um, and I, I do foresee at some point, there's a lot of arrangers that don't adapt. There might be a huge turnover over the next 20 years of just people that are taking over the top groups. Um, and when I look at other things, kind of like, um, I guess kind of like the Blue Knights thing where they are doing the narration. It is more well-recorded, like for sure. Um, but I think other people that try to go after that, there's still a massive room for growth. Um, and I was actually listening to the Unkst podcast the other day. I think he made a great point where, like, for example, some shows become really visual and the music being written to them ends up being like writing a soundtrack to a movie in just the kind of the entirely wrong way. And there is this kind of movie aesthetic that's going on, you know, with uh, kind of like the monologue, um, trying to highlight a journey. But even that, like, that has to be done super, super, super well for it to be receivable and be that something you can put on your headphones and really, you know, right. sit down and listen to the whole thing and be like, okay, that was something. Um, and not bits and pieces that don't fit together well. Um, and... I think there will be a lot of people that figure that out. Clearly people are very obsessed with, including myself, <laughs> with what Kevin and Mike and, you know, Jay Bocook and the folks have done at Blue Knights and, you know, where that has taken things for a lot of groups um, over the years. But it's pretty clear that at the first time I went to WGI's in 2019, watching all the high schools kind of emulate that style more than I realized um, um, in some of the other uh, independent groups, it was clearly like a regurgitation and what's missing for me is not so much that everyone's like kind of like writing like Mike, um, you know, on the East coast, everyone was writing like Tom. Um, but there's no like true originality in those shows to kind of bring it back there. Um, like it, it feels almost hollow and empty when some of these like really emotional concepts are, not achieved well enough. I, I hate to use something that general, but I always like in my head, see like the black floor, it has like sadness yeah, written go. on it. And I'm just like, Oh no. Um, 
and they do they do like they do like do the vocals right they do the sung vocals stuff like that but it just doesn't connect because it still feels like that hollow thing that's derived from the culture of this is an apple here's the apple um i guess <laughs> i'm really racking my brain right now to kind of explain that creative mature creative maturity to make these things work i think i use movies as an example because it's the most tangible example for me to see how this creative process is achieved at the literal highest level possible um while not being you know drums in a gym or anything like that but the creative process itself has all the wheels turning there's a visual department there's a music department um and it it is just so well done and there's a culture of it being well done for I don't know, like a hundred years or something like that. Probably. I, well, longer, let me, but, let me pick it up. Um, Cause I, I actually think the movie I know entirely where I'm going with that, but <laughs> it's right on. And, um, there's a subject matter issue in there where we have no, no zones because there's kids and, you know, we're trying to shield the kids from the terrible things in the world. And then they like, you know, you go on Twitter, you know, where they go on, like, it's, it's kind of a joke. Like it's sort of fake. Right. Um, yeah, there's certain and it's literally written in WGI's rules that there are certain subject matter that we can't portray. And, uh, you know, I go to Kubrick because that's probably my favorite director. And it's about exposing the most messed up things in the world and almost um, making them plain, normal, everyday. Um, it, it demonstrates the regularity of of this sort of like deeply seated darkness that is very real and is very present, you know, and you see it through a lens that's stark, but it's, it's really dry. <laughs> like eyes wide shut is dry. It's quiet. And it's very yeah. real in yes. that way. And the plot of it is so super weird. And you're like, this could never be real. And it's so real. You know, and I mean, I'm from Connecticut, so are you, so you already know, like, the context of that whole setting. And I almost feel like sometimes, like, we're all playing this game where we're, like, trying to, like, show, like, the most, like, bright version of things. And, like, here's this representation of, like, the sun rising and setting. And, like, it's good. And everything's going to be okay. The end. Like, I, I feel like something that maybe Mike and Kevin were able to capture and specifically Mike and I as a visionary of the design is like sadness and like dark inner qualities that you're like not at all able to reconcile. And he did it in a way that's, it's really over most people's heads. I mean, their drum line just plays amazing stuff. So they like one and they're the best and it's super cool for like just a drum guy. But like the end of that show is like, I give up. It's not like I win or things are better. Like the end of seed is like the white flag. And it's like, I surrender to this like internal war. And I'm having in this war that I'm having with like my significant other. And it's like, that's actually real life. Everybody like things don't just end cleanly. And you know, that's, it's, it's much more interesting because you're not trying to portray yourself as perfect. I love Pulse. I love Pulse. I do. That being said, they try to create a world that feels too perfect. Everything's so neat. 
it's it's genius composition. I mean, clearly Ian Grom is like just one of the best, if not the best, in the yes. game period. He understands this thing and he checks the boxes, but I don't mm-hmm. access the inner qualities of him. And I I would love to know more about. It's really what do you struggle with? What is hurting you? What are some things you've been through? Like I don't feel that all the time, you know. And I wish that I could because he. It's an amazing composer. <laughs> yeah. It's nothing to really do with the nuts and bolts of composition. It's just how you put yourself forward. Like fringe is not a clean, like happy thing. It's just like we're grungy and we're just like whatever, you know, it, it, it wasn't even about being clean. And I think almost this is kind of a weird, I've never thought about this, but like the concept of being clean is in direct opposition to being vulnerable and emotional in the way that life of Pablo is where it's like dude this like static shit and then the change into this vocal choir and then the, yeah. it's that it's like Kanye like this is me like as a person is I switch between modes <laughs> in a second and it's as stark as you're experiencing and that's and you experience it with him in a way that generates almost an empathy for the artist um I, I don't you know or you go to McDonald's and the Big Mac tastes the same no matter where you are right mm-hmm. it's like it's, it's that thing. So, you know, I, I look for that in what we do and like, I want to yeah keep pushing everyone. And like, I, I, I hope that's what I'm doing. You know, obviously like that's my, my intent with what we do, but it's like, like things are messy, man. You know, it's like, if you're an artist and, and your art is like just a, a perfect square. And then it's like, you know, it's almost just like, why don't you just be a mathematician then? This isn't really art. It's, it's like you're putting forward like a, you're like a like a news anchor, and it's like makeup. Yeah. And your hair is perfect, and your suit is perfect. What's really going on? You know, so it's it's. I don't know exactly. My point is, I just can really tell. You know, like we we lost in nineteen to a group that did literally a circus show. How many groups have done circus shows before? Kidding me? And it was literally a movie that they just did the same the plot of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> We wrote our own movie, you know, and it's just like, what are we going for in as an art form? And maybe it doesn't have to be the same, but like, <laughs> what if we were doing this, but our intent was to, to tour like a traveling musician, but through the idiom of marching percussion, you know, like what if there was no, the competition is ticket sales, the competition is merch sales. What could we do together? You know what I mean? Because right now, a lot of talented people are spending a lot of time doing something that literally is for like eight old people that are kind of there to just reinforce their power over the activity because they've been doing it longer. And I think about that sometimes like, man, if I, if I dedicated this effort to like real artistry, it'd be in a different place. I could do something that was for more people. I want to access a wider audience. And it disappoints me that that's not really our starting place. It's not a starting line as an activity, you know? Well, what I wonder is, you know, if if we're trying to do that, you know, how many arrangers are there in this activity that, like, if they committed themselves to being solo artists, you know, would be, like, a lot big hits in the world. Um, I, I sometimes wonder, cause, so here's the thing for me, like, if we're trying to go this route with a lot of shows and we're kind of comparing it to musical artists... You kind of you kind of have to commit your entire life to that, um, and I, I think aspect to it, not the whole design takes thing, away but... a little bit of that introspection 
I mean, someone like James Blake, for example, I mean, he's just a really introverted kid. It's like all he did every day. And it was just that there was no, there was nothing like limiting what he was doing. And he eventually got to the point where I think it did become authentic enough. Same thing with like Bon Iver or something, for example, actually, you know, I'll use him as an example. He had written music mm-hmm. for so long. Um, and he was a, I think he was really, really sick and he was at the end of his rope. He had like, was about to give up on music entirely. And he ended up going to that cabin that that picture of his first album um, is from, I believe. Um, And he just wrote music at the bottom barrel part of his life. And, you know, he didn't think about how it was going to be received. He was just doing it because he had to, he needed to, to survive as a person like mentally. Um, And he just put it out on Bandcamp. No one knew who he was. He just said Bon Iver because he, he heard it in a TV show and he thought it sounded good. And it ended up being one of the biggest game-changing albums in singer-songwriter music and then eventually electronic music as he progressed of all time. And it, yeah. I, I, it's hard to insert that kind of emotional like rawness and commitment into a marching production. And... You know, if we were like competing for ticket sales, for example, it's just like, would that be, would that be an end goal? Not to like ruin yourself, right? <laughs> but to really focus yourself in on, you know, what it means to be you, what it means to be human, what it means to be this group of people, um, and interpret that in a way. And I, I say all this in like, it's okay to be like Dartmouth and and do their thing because it's it's sick, it's super entertaining, and I think that probably goes towards more like the head nodding area of the activity where it's. Um, it's just really bombastic and uh, uh, like maximalist, like the term that they use. And it's just like yes. sick. And they, they are amazing at it so much so that when people try to copy them, it seems rough. Um, but they, they're just so good at it. And I think it still goes back to like when achievement is at the highest level, it's great. I like it. <laughs> um, it's yeah, effective. it's, it's effective. Um, and I think there is an inherent danger to trying to go for an emotional concept or something like that um, when it's not like the sole focus of your entire life. And it may be, but at the end of the day, you know, every day I'm still, you know, on meetings, I'm working with a bunch of people. And I guess you could say that about an artist too. Um, but I'm also spreading myself out to a lot of different um, teams. And it, it's always like, there's a bunch of pods of constantly developing people. Um, and sometimes it hits and sometimes it doesn't. I think sometimes like-minded individuals come together and that's where it hits. But um, it does feel like there's the seed of an idea out there where we want something to change and we really want that emotional side, that authenticity side to come out. But it, it's, you know, it's not the soul of 1980s or 90s drum corps. It's, it's, clearly pulled it us from that time period, even from like 2010 forward, you know, things have gotten so different. Um, and it may be like this frustration that we're in the period of serious change in this part of the activity and it it feels ambiguous and it's hard to attach to it. And like you're saying, like you just kind of have to make an effort to keep moving it forward, forward, forward. Um, until we're finally there and then we're asking for something else. But, (laughs) um, and I think it's funny that this is the topic that I always get on with when sound design is the basis of conversation. Um, 
and I guess to kind of wrap that stuff up is I, I really feel that that is the way to do that. When you bring in more people like, like uh, Sam, who, who really cares about being an artist and that's his thing, you bring at least that person on board. That perspective is now there. That kind of, it's not the drum corps perspective necessarily, even though he has been involved with drum corps. It's um, this kind of different, slightly different kind of hunger and drive where it's like, you know, it, it's it's all him trying to just go for it and, and be successful. But I think the more people bring that in, like, I mean, Broken City brought in Adam Watts. I mean, that dude, mm-hmm. like, wrote a good portion of uh, High School Musical, I believe. Um, that dude's prolific. Mm-hmm. And when you bring in that part and the identity is really there, I mean, I guess that was his past student, too. So it's like a perfect, yeah, mission. perfect world. Um, once that that unit is there that can really shine through. And I think they have been recently an example of that stuff being brought to light. Like when this singer songwriter, emotional thing, really creative, high achieved thing comes together and it's just happening. And, you know, I think it's fair to say that like 2019, I don't know if a lot of people in the past would have said like, Oh, that's the winning show. It's hard to say that cause they were just so good, but, um, it's not what things used to be necessarily. It's hard for me to describe that. They certainly um, weren't the cleanest group at finals. Sure. Yeah. They're not at all. There's probably yeah, three, yeah, yeah. three groups behind them that were, that were cleaner, but you know, to go back to this conversation about invention, like this idea of seed and just the whole meaning within it and the abstract nature of it being abstract and also being able to make a connection um, with people broadly. Yeah, yeah. It's just a, it's just a, hitting that nail on the head versus, you know, RCC just did doom. Like it was literally like doom and yeah. One, the movie hadn't even come out. So everyone was like, what is this spice? Excuse me. <laughs> like it was just literally like a transposition of the movie Doom. And I don't know exactly why they chose to do that in that moment because literally like no one knew what that was. Like they were great. RCC is one of my favorites, you know, but it's like, I don't really yeah. get why you're choosing this right now. What does Dune have to do with anyone? You know, and it's just like, we're doing a theme this year. A theme. A theme. Like, I have to have a theme. Like, versus, like, the act of creation is your theme. I think that's maybe to go back to your, like, the GMU thing is, like, mm. the process is the product. Right? And it's like, if you... Yeah. find this thing that's going to mean something to you throughout the course. It's going to motivate the creative process. You'll feel that at the end versus we're doing a chocolate show and we have to do chocolate drill and chocolate music <laughs> and have a chocolate uniform. Why? Who cares about that? What does yeah. that have to do with anything? You know? So it's, it's tough because like you said, if you, if you try to go for the vulnerability pathway and it's not, really authentic it's more of like copycatting it's just that much worse it's not like doing that is going to make it better it's that yeah it's overly planned out it's yeah a little rough it's just like it's you can always tell when that's happening it's like and it doesn't matter what type of show it is you're just trying to be like someone versus like i don't know if this is going to work i don't know if this is going to come across or i don't know like there has to be a little bit of doubt and there has to be a space there that is unknown or else if you have the answers to everything you're doing, 
it, it's yeah. not original because there's a map that's already been placed before you that you're just following. And every, and even if it's your map, there's a lot of groups kind of do that where they're kind of upcycling. You feel mm-hmm. that shit. And like, yeah, you're clean because it's done, but what about what it took to get there? When I listen to Blonde, I'm like, dude, it sounds like this guy wrung himself out emotionally to to kind of realize this project. <laughs> You're like, I'm worried about you, dude. Like, I am worried yes. about Frank. And people still are because he's he's behind the scenes now. But it's like, dude, what did you have to do to <laughs> yeah. make Siegfried? Like, it's yep. so dark and it's so like rejecting i don't know it's like man like that's and i feel that with myself like i don't know if you get there too but like even right now like just the period that i'm in with mason like i live this shit every day you know what i mean like this is not like a job to me this is Mm -hmm. like me and when it's going great it my life is going great and when it's going terribly i'm like what what am i doing am i can i do this am i equipped to do this am i who i think i am that's tough, dude. Like to, to really live in that. Like I didn't choose to do that, but it's like, that's how I feel. And I feel like maybe that is part of what comes through the work, but also it, it really is tough. Sometimes I'm kind of in that right now. If you can't tell by the tone of this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean that, that's so true. I mean, I, that's really like the epitome of being like an artistic person or someone that's creative. It's just like, that's just looming over, um, but I do like your point about the process thing. And I think when I was saying over planning, it was really about that kind of rubric idea or whether that's like the sheets or like really overthinking the sheets and stuff like that. Um, but it's a good point. Like if I'm writing a song, like a lot of times I'm just trying to think of, oh, I just, I just like the sound of this. Like this, this can just be a part of what this will end up being. And that could be um, building a tone. It's like, okay, this is what this tone is like. Why did, why did that come out of me? Uh, maybe it's because of this part of my life and um, you maybe think about it for a week and then, Oh, there's some lyrics that describe that. And this, this really feels cohesive. And I, I really want to finish this and put this out. Um, and I think uh, on, on your first podcast with Mike Jackson, he said something to that effect. It's just in terms of battery, like, Oh, here's a, a little idea here. Um, you know, I guess this kind of inspires me to do this here. Um, and then the, the connections start building and, I think there is something to be said about being a person that likes connections to come from it. Just everything, um, which would help that mindset. I'm sure some people would be like, that sounds like a bad idea, but I totally feel what he's saying. Um, because at the end of the day, it starts as this, uh, little doodle, the word he used, but at the end of the season, um, whether you, I guess in their case, necessarily tell everyone exactly what the show is about or not. Um, everything has so much meaning and personal meaning to the group or the individual that when someone sees it, that's where the authenticity is kind of built from. Like every little thing has a detail. You know, when I found out what that show is about, you know, I could go back and I could see, Oh, that like this whole visual idea here, like relates directly to that. And that, that makes so much sense. Um, it gives the performers more to pull from, and I guess gives them more of a, of a path to feel yeah. something for the show and interpret themselves as people, um, but I think the process thing is a really great point. Um, and that's hard to find, um, you know, even like working with someone writing a song for the first time, it's, you know, it's never usually good. Like you have to practice. Um, and it's a lot of focus practice with a clear intent of eventually getting to your, your end goal. Um, but yeah. 
another year. We're like going to be into this new phase and we're in the thick of the indoor season. And, you know, this stuff's just really like personal to me. Like I feel like, uh, you know, being able to express yourself through this medium is, it's really big, man. Like I, I obviously, you know, I, 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 ca- I came from a place of just kind of intensity. Like, I mean, I taught you and you kind of know how I was and I'm sure you were noticing I'm not really so much like that anymore. There's still some of that in there, but I was just such a, a grinder and it was just about, it was just very binary. <laughs> it was like, you're either clean or you're not. And it's just either sure. you're, you're either going for it or you're not. And I still bring that to what I do. Um, and you know, I, I want to create these platforms for the students to be authentic. Um, you know, we created a new silhouette at FJM this year for Mason. That's just a box t-shirt, boxy t-shirt, mock neck collar and joggers. It's never been worn before. So awesome. What does that mean for us? (laughs) No one's ever worn a t-shirt and pants in this world. That's crazy dude look we're both right. wearing t-shirts right are you kidding you know like when they told me that like, yeah people are gonna see this and it's gonna be like you know the gmu silhouette i'm like that is so sad how am i the one introducing a t-shirt into this space like that is crazy and right. in the real world you know high fashion and streetwear are just in cahoots it's totally congruent now like that is the shit you know louis and off-white and yeezy gap and all these major brands that are like on the street where you know balenciaga it's it's just it's just everywhere and i just feel like we've got to take the blinders off of what we're doing and really look at like what we create because we are self-serving and that's really about it we're not really you know, we're not really trying to appeal yeah. to an audience that's outside of the, the technical side of this world. And I like just want that so bad. Like I want that more than anything for like, at least what I'm doing is like that someone can listen to this and just like, just get it. Like I play my stuff for my girlfriend, Christina, all the time because she listens to some of these, you know, drum cores or some of the indoor groups. And she's like, what is this? And then when she listens to our stuff and she's like, I love this music. I get it. I feel it. I'm like, yeah, that's who we need to be. Like, like I've said it in the past, but like, why isn't Steven Tyler from Aerosmith, a WGI judge? Why isn't, you know, Eminem or like, whatever. Like, I know these are <laughs> terrible, terrible examples, but like, is it really healthy for us that the only people that judge this activity right. are people that were bred to the activity? I think we need to introduce some, outside perspective sure. of what we do because we really aren't meeting people where they are and we can't grow. We're not growing from that. Um, yeah. Even some of the broken city stuff is so highly technical and it's, it's mm-hmm. great. And the earworm is there. That's the thing is that the, that song let you win is just an amazing song. And it just like makes you feel emotional and that that is there and it makes it work. I, I want to figure out how to unlock this gate because we are insulating ourselves from actual people. You know, like I don't, I don't know if you send your shit out to, Oh, you know, yeah. I designed this drum core show. Here's the MP3. Like, why aren't we producing full MP3s? Cause they're not listenable. 
you know, producing that GMU project and making it a Spotify yeah. YouTube release, it changed my entire perspective because it made us accessible at any time, at any place. Not WGI Finals. And I see where you're coming from with like the whole ticket sales idea too. It's like, how, how do you bring those people in? Like, I remember, like I was saying before, being like in like seventh grade or something and seeing like commercial for the DVD. I actually remember like somewhat, my friend was there. He's just like, oh, Bryce, that'd be something you're into, right? And I was like, no, definitely not. Those totally would be. But, um, <laughs> but like from an outside perspective, it's hard to get across that barrier of like, oh, it's like marching band is dorky. It's stupid. Bad. Um, which, which is the big thing, but it's like, again, like, how do we reach out and make it appealing? Like, I guess to the average person, like, if they go see an indoor group and they, or I guess if they see videos of it, like, circulating on the internet or somehow, um, of them just in joggers and t-shirts or whatever, um, that might be more accessible. Like, wow, they at least look sick. <laughs> and I think it's a huge step that we kind of ditch the traditional uniform a bit. Um, you know, I, I hate to just, like, you know, dump on that idea because they're just cool. Like, it's traditional drum corps. It's a thing. Like, it's tight. Like, we all did it. But um, having that introduction of this kind of more, like, unitardy thing is a big push out of that and hopefully into just other things. I mean, I guess, you know, it feels like forever, but it's only really been, like, in drum corps, what, like, six or seven years? Eight years? That that's Blue really Code 16, I think, would be the the barometer for that. Okay. If you ask me, I think that was um, when, when Blue Coast started changing their uniform every year, and everyone yeah. had to start doing that. Yeah, exactly. Um, I actually like their old uniform, though. That that was, I don't know if anyone's exactly said this, but it, maybe I'm wrong, but it looks a thousand percent exactly like the, I think it's the doctor's uniform in the anime Full Metal Alchemist. I don't know if anyone's looked at that. But I am almost a thousand percent positive that's what they were designed after. Which, I, which I uniform? Think sick. Um, the doctor's uniform, I believe. Full Metal Alchemist. I could be remembered. No, I, I thousand percent get the vibe from it. Same color. In post, we need to edit. We're up to edit a little, uh, little image <laughs> on here. But uh, hey, we're we're pretty. We're in here. We're one twenty <laughs> in. Um, yeah, and this has been. Uh, it's been both frustrating, but also it's it's always good to just get this this out there to have these convos because I feel like I live in this headspace of frustration and and boredom. Yes. <laughs> and I want to. I just want to be like, <laughs> let's do something different. Let's stop playing the same music. Let's let's be let's, let's break the mold. You know what I mean? Like, do we need marimbas? Do we need split bass drums? <laughs> do we need vibes? Like, can we, like, it, it's, it shouldn't be that radical to not have the same exact musical arrangement every year, man. You know mm -hmm. what it would be if you came out with exclusively electronics? It, it's like you would just not <laughs> even get looked at. So I, nope. I think we've got a, we've got a little bit of an identity crisis, like you said, and it's, it's kind of people like you that can help us modernize and help us push our sound. So I want to thank you for getting on here and uh, talking shop. And I, you know, I know you've got a podcast that you've been working on and we, we should do another one of these on, on yours and we can keep uh, hashing out these issues. But uh, thank you for getting on here, yeah. my friend. Yeah, of course, man. Where can people find you? Uh, social media handles, websites, anything like that. 
Um, people can find me at my everything I have is just Bryson Teal, Instagram, Twitter, the whole thing. Um, my music is on Apple Music, Spotify, the whole the whole nine as just Bryson Teal. Um, so you can pretty much find that anywhere. Just search me up. It's B R Y S O N T E E L. That is what it is. Happy New Year's, everyone. 2022. What's going to befall us next? We will see. Peace.